Well, this evening we're going to look at chapter 4 and verses 21 uh, to 31. Uh, So let me read uh, these words that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia from verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai, and bears children who are to be slaves, that is, Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, Break forth and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. This is God's word. And I've called this sermon Stepping Into God's Story. Stepping Into God's Story. Um, what I mean by that is sometimes we want to, uh, when we're uh, reading a story or we're watching a, a film, uh, we might want to put ourselves in that story and be a certain character in that story. Now, one time, uh, me and another boy, uh, a few years ago, uh, filled in an online survey uh, that would tell you which Star Wars character you were. Okay, so you filled in, you know, have you seen those kind of surveys before? You can get them for all kinds of different things. You can even have it to tell you what personality type you might be or all sorts of things. And you answer a a set of questions and it feeds those answers into an algorithm and then it tells you what character you are. Now, both of us, me and this other boy, uh, had in mind the character we think we would be. Uh, we wouldn't have minded Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Han Solo. I was kind of holding out for Chewbacca because he was really tall. I can't remember who I got, but I do remember who the other boy got. He filled in the questions, and the answer came out, Princess Leia. (laughs) And it was a shock for him. He couldn't believe it. He was absolutely gutted, and he was adamant that this is wrong. This is absolutely the wrong character. In, this, in Star Wars. I am nowhere like Princess Leia. 
And so he went back and he tried, tried to fill in the survey again so that it would pop out with a different answer. But the problem was that the, the real answers to the questions were what he put in the first place. And so whilst I don't remember what character I was, I always remember what he was. And I've given him stick for it ever since. Now something very similar is going on in this passage in Galatians. The Jewish false teachers and those who follow them think they are children of the promise. And Paul tells a story of Isaac and Ishmael. And all of the Jewish false teachers want to be Isaac in this story. They think we're Isaac. That's who we are. That's the character in the story that you are telling that we are. But Paul is going to give them a shock. He's going to give them a shock because they are not the character that they think they are. And unlike being labeled a Star Wars character you don't want to be, in this story, this is really important. This is life and death. You need to line up with Isaac. That's the character that all of us want to be lined up with. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. So this passage in Galatians is um, notorious for being a really difficult passage to understand. I hope that we can be clear on what this means tonight. And hopefully as we look at these two characters, we'll see that the key point is we want to be in the line of the children of promise. And we're going to see how we can be. So Paul, so far, um, just before this, has pleaded with the Galatians to become like him. In other words, to put their faith in Jesus Christ, to be free, not slaves to weak and miserable forces like they used to be, slaves to sin, as we read in John 8. He's called them to be free, not to turn back, but to keep putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And here we see that we, we can't turn back to slavery, to our old life, because That's not who we are anymore. We are no longer slaves. We are sons of God. We are free. And in this passage, uh, Paul tells this as a story which has a shocking meaning that applies to our lives. And so we're going to look at three parts. First of all, uh, thinking historically. Thinking historically. Paul tells an old story. This is what he does to set up uh, what he's going to teach here. An old story. So in verse 21, Paul introduces his point. Now he uses the word law in this verse in two different ways. So those who want to be under the law in verse 21, he means the false teachers and those who are following them. Those who want to follow the rules and regulations of the Jewish law. That's what he means by those who want to be under the law. But when he says Are you not aware of what the law says, in verse 21? He's meaning the Old Testament scriptures, because the word law can be used to describe, really, the whole of the Old Testament. And so he's saying, those that want to be under the law, those that want to go back, do you not know what your Bibles Bibles say? Do you not know the scriptures? And so Paul tells them a story from the law, the book of Genesis, the story of Isaac and Ishmael. And we find this in Genesis chapters 16 and 21, which you can read um, those chapters uh, later on. But this story 
uh, seems to have been used by the Jewish false teachers to prove that the Christians need to also follow the law. It seems that they were using this story. And so Paul uses it to show them something that is truthful and shocking and shows them the right way to interpret this story. So let me briefly, briefly tell you what the story is of Genesis 16 and 21. Uh, Abraham was promised by God that he would have many descendants. But Abraham and his wife Sarah were very old. They were far too old to have children. Sarah was, was well past the age of childbearing. And in Genesis chapter 16, time was passing and Sarah suggested to Abraham that he sleeps with her Egyptian servant, Hagar. Although this wasn't trusting God, it wasn't trusting in the promise that God had given, it wasn't the way that God was going to give them a child, Abraham agreed, he sleeps with Hagar, and Hagar becomes pregnant. And she gives birth to a son, and Hagar's son is called Ishmael. That's chapter 16 of Genesis. 18 years later, in chapter 21 of Genesis, in fulfillment of the divine promise that God had given to Abraham, Sarah miraculously gives birth to a son. His name is Isaac. In fact, let me show you in Genesis chapter 1 how it's pointed out very clearly by the author uh, who the mother is. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and he, and he, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Do you see that? How Sarah is repeated over and over? It's the, the writer saying, Sarah is the mum. She was very, very old. It was a miracle. Sarah, though, is the mother. Abraham had a, had a son by his wife Sarah, just like God promised he would. And this is important because we're told that Isaac is the son who is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, through whom they would have many descendants and through whom the Messiah would come. Isaac's line would be the one who would inherit the promises to Abraham. And so Paul draws out the contrasts in this story. Two sons, two women, two births, and two statuses. Let me uh, show you that on this, uh, this table. Um, so the two sons are Ishmael and Isaac. That's the, the characters in the story. And if we're filling in the, the online questionnaire, we want to be Isaac. Why? Because he's the child of promise, who is free from slavery and an heir of the promises of God. The two women are Hagar and Sarah. Hagar is a slave woman and Sarah is a free woman. And in verse 23, we see that the two births are according to the flesh and the result of the divine promise. Now, according to the flesh means that the child was born in the normal way. Hagar was of normal childbearing age. There was a sexual relationship and nine months later, Ishmael is born. It was completely normal. 
The result of the divine promise, on the other hand, was a miracle birth. Isaac was conceived in the normal way. That is, they they had a, a sexual relationship. But what was not normal was that Sarah was really old, way past the age of childbearing. And so Isaac's birth was a miracle. It was because of the result of a divine promise. Is that clear? And so the two children, which I should have missed out on the table, but the two children have different statuses. Ishmael would remain a slave and not inherit his father's estate because Isaac was born. Isaac was the one who would be the heir. Now again, in this story, we want to be Isaac, the one who inherits the promises of God. And the Jewish people were descendants, physically at least, from Isaac. They were absolutely convinced that in this story, they would line up in the column of Isaac. They would fill in the survey, they would plug that into the algorithm, and out would pop out Isaac. That's what they would expect. And by the way, many people think they are God's children when they really are not. Many people think that they are Christians when in reality they are not Christians. We will see that a true follower of Jesus is one who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've trusted in his sacrifice for their sin on the cross and have sought his forgiveness and are following him, trusting him alone for the forgiveness of sin and for every aspect of their life, following his word. They're not trusting in their own goodness and their own good works or anything else. Their faith is in Jesus Christ. And if that's not the case in your life, you you might think you're a Christian, but you are very mistaken. And so having told the story, Paul moves on from thinking historically to thinking figuratively. Look at the beginning of verse 24, where Paul says uh, that he is uh, speaking in a way to be taken figuratively. Uh, The word uh, figurative is literally allegorically. Uh, An allegory is is where a story has a a deeper spiritual meaning. Uh, A famous example of this is, is Pilgrim's Progress, where Uh, Each character in the story of Pilgrim's Progress has a meaning behind them. And here, Paul is using the story of Ishmael and Isaac to provide a deeper spiritual meaning to that story. It was a a common uh, teaching technique that the Jews used. So what does Paul say is the deeper meaning? Well, we can add to the table that we saw earlier. This helps us see the the meaning that Paul says. So the women, he says, represent two covenants. One covenant is Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai was the mountain where the people of God were given the law of Moses. And here is the shock. The the Mount Sinai and the law was was what the Jewish people followed. It's what defined them as as God's people, as a Jew. But notice the shock. What column does Mount Sinai link up with? Ishmael. Do you see the shock? 
They would expect to be in Isaac's column. But here we are told that those under the law bear children who are to be slaves. Look at verse 25 where Paul hammers home the point. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. In fact, that that word there, corresponds to, literally means to line up with, like on the table we see. Paul is making it clear, being under the law, going back to rules and regulations, means you line up with Hagar and Ishmael, not with Isaac. And the present city of Jerusalem is speaking of the place that sums up the Jewish law. It was there that the temple was. It was there that the the people flocked to during the feasts. It was the epicenter of the Old Testament Jewish religion. Why does Mount Sinai correspond to the present city of Jerusalem? Because the present city of Jerusalem and all that's associated with it are slavery. It's slavery. That's in contrast to verse 26, to the Jerusalem which is above. The Jerusalem above refers to heaven, the place where Jesus has gone, the place where Christians are headed. The new Jerusalem is talked about in Revelation 21. And we read there in verse 26 that this Jerusalem, notice what it says, is free and she is our mother. The Old Testament often uh, would speak of Jerusalem being a mother, a mother city, or a motherland. Now, there's not time to go into it, but if you're taking notes, you can note down Isaiah 66, verses 7 to 11. That's one place. But we read at the very beginning of the service, Psalm 87, where we read, Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. Do you see the, the motherly language? So to speak of a a city or a place as a mother is to say, basically, that our citizenship is there. It's where we belong. In fact, even today, we we use cities often to describe kingdoms or countries. So if if we wanted to know as a nation uh, what the American people might think, we might say, what does Washington think? And we'd know what they mean. Or if we were to to say of the Germans, we might say, what's the opinion in Berlin? And we'd know that that was speaking of the people as a whole. And so Jerusalem being spoken of in this way is representing a, a whole people group. And Jerusalem being a mother means that we come from there. We are citizens of that place. And that's a helpful illustration because in the story of Hagar of Isaac and Ishmael, there are two mothers, aren't there? Hagar and Sarah. Now, in John chapter 8, we saw Jesus speaking in a similar way as Paul does here, don't we? Uh, the Jewish people in that chapter that was read earlier couldn't believe what Jesus was saying. He was, he was saying that they were not children of promise, but that they were, were slaves. And, and they were saying, we're, we're not slaves to anybody. We're, we're not illegitimate children. But Jesus was linking true children of God as those that have faith in him. It's not about your physical birth. It is about faith in Jesus Christ. 
And the shock in John 8 is the same as the shock in Galatians 4. It's Jesus Christ who sets you free from slavery. It's those that hold to his teaching who are his disciples. And so I guess the question to ask at this point is which column do you line up with? If you're trusting in anything other than Jesus alone to make you right with God, then you are lining up with Ishmael. Now some of you, almost like the Jewish people, were born into a family of Christian faith. If you're relying on that, then you are illegitimate children. You are not children of God. It is not about being born into a Christian family. In fact, as much as the blessing as being born into a Christian family is, it can also hold its dangers. The danger being that you think that you are okay, that you are a child of God because your parents are children of God. No, you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't rely on your parents' faith. Some of you might be thinking like the religious leaders that your good works are enough. Trusting in some kind of goodness in yourself. Well, I'm, I'm not a terrible person. I'm, I'm quite nice really. I do lots of really good things. If that's what you think, you are lining up with Ishmael. Notice Mount Sinai, the, the place of the law, is in the Ishmael column. You won't inherit eternal life. By trying to be really good, because you'll never be good enough. Because the law from Mount Sinai showed us our failure. We've seen that before in Galatians. What we see is this, that the gospel family tree grows as a result of God's power, of his divine promise, not our efforts. Sarah could not have a child without God's power being at work in a miraculous way in her. We cannot become children of God without the same power at work in us. It's not down to your efforts or your family. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ. And that shock of what Paul's saying is continued in verse 27. Uh, He quotes uh, from Isaiah to back up the point he's making. Look at verse 27. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Break forth and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. This prophecy was given to the Israelites when they were sent away into exile because of their sin. It's from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. And the exile was likened to a barren woman deserted by her husband. But here is a prophecy of hope for Israel, who was at the point of being barren, that one day they would have children, more children than ever before. Now the Israelites did return from exile. They did grow. They had lots of children. And that would continue. They, they, many physical generations came. But that's not how this promise from Isaiah 54 was fulfilled. 
Sarah too was barren. And through birth by divine promise, she had Isaac. But this promise is fulfilled now when we are born by divine promise. In the words of John 3, born again or born from above. And there are more children born from above, born again, than there has ever been physical descendants of Abraham. So this promise of the barren woman having more children than than ever before is not speaking of the Jewish physical descendants of Abraham, but is speaking of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note as well that Isaiah 54 comes right after Isaiah 53. And that's interesting because Isaiah 53 was the song we sang earlier. It speaks of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for our sins. Or rather in Isaiah 53, the sacrifice he would make for our sins. In that passage we read how the Messiah would die in the place of sinners, taking the punishment for their sin upon himself. So how are we born again from above? By putting our faith in Jesus, the suffering servant who died in our place for our sins. That's how there are many children from the barren woman. That is how Sarah has more children than any other person that's ever lived in that, way, in that sense. Children that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. It is those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So finally, after speaking historically and speaking figuratively, Paul ends by thinking personally. He gives some practical points at the end for us. Notice in verse 28, Paul tells the Galatian Christians who they are. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. So brothers and sisters, Christians, Paul's saying, let me tell you something. You who have put your faith in Jesus, you line up with Isaac. You are in that column. You are children of promise. I'm going to speak to you personally now, he's saying. I'm going to tell you what this means. How do we know that, uh, what life is like lining up with Isaac? Well, Paul tells us how it impacts us as Christians. And there's, there's three personal practical outcomes. First of all, If you're in Isaac's column, there is persecution. Number one, persecution. Look at verse 29. At that time, this is is continuing the story of Isaac and Ishmael, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. Ishmael is said here to have persecuted Isaac. We read about this, if you see on the screen, Genesis chapter 21. It says, But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The mocking here was very likely so severe that it was seen as a threat to Isaac, either to his life or to his receiving the inheritance. And Paul says it's the same for us now. 
Ishmael and Isaac represent two religions in the world. The religion of human achievement, in the case of Ishmael, and the religion of divine accomplishment or divine promise, that of Isaac. Human achievement can never achieve righteousness before God. So we need the divine accomplishment, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But that message is an offense to the world that thinks they can achieve their own salvation. It is an offense to those who think that they are good enough already. And so the Ishmael children have always persecuted the children of Isaac. Now sometimes we see that persecution from other religions, as Morris was helpfully praying earlier for the, the persecuted church. Uh, there are places where um, radical Islam persecutes Christians. But we see persecution taking the form of mocking or bullying or being fired from work because of belief. We can see persecution take on the form of alienation from family or friendship groups. But interestingly here, the persecution comes from uh, within the family, if you like. Ishmael and Isaac were brothers of the same household. And sometimes persecution can come from those who claim to be in the same family from other Christians. And I think we see that at the moment when there are many people claiming to be Christian who are advocating for a ban on Christians praying for same-sex attracted people who want to remain faithful to Jesus. Or in the Church of England at the moment, there is a, a persecution by people claiming to be Christians against those who don't want to perform same-sex marriages in their churches. More close to home, some of you perhaps have suffered persecution from others who claim to be Christians and have been hounded out of churches. It can be very real, but Paul says it's to be expected. It's the same now. So the first thing we see is, is persecution. And we have to be very aware of those who come into the church with false doctrine that leads people astray. And that leads us on to the second point of application, uh, purging or getting rid of. Purging. Notice verse 30, what Sarah does with the threat to Isaac. She gets rid of the slave woman and her son. She says, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. She was concerned that there would be a dividing of the promise or a compromise. She was concerned for the life of Isaac. And so Sarah got rid of the threat. Now, we might think, well, that's, that's really harsh. Maybe it is harsh, but it's necessary because of the threat to the promise, the threat to the the purity of, 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 the, of the line of Isaac that the Messiah would come from. There was a danger to the, the people of God that was going on here. 
And in effect, this is what happens in the church when someone either teaches contrary to God's word or a member of the church lives contrary to God's word and doesn't repent of sin. That's why we have church membership. It it enables us to ensure that those who belong to the church are those who hold to sound doctrine and are prepared to live that out faithfully under the accountability of other believers. And so we have a membership that holds one another accountable and recognizes one another as believers. And people are removed from membership. They are put out for a number of reasons, like what's going on in this passage. So if they pose a threat to the preaching of the gospel, if they pose a threat to the unity of the church, if they, they teach or adhere to false doctrine, or if they don't walk in line with the gospel, they aren't repenting of sin and they refuse to repent. We remove them from membership. Why? Because we cannot allow threats to the supremacy of Christ in our church and threats to the uniqueness of the gospel to infiltrate the church because there is only one inheritance not two one one gospel and it cannot be have a it cannot have a platform shared with anything else anything else leads to hell and so it might sound harsh but the alternative is far worse. And we can broaden this out too to say that we need to purge that which threatens the supremacy and uniqueness of Christ in our own personal lives, don't we? Is there a a threat to Christ being number one in your life? Is there a sin that you're entertaining and not getting rid of? Jesus speaks a very similar kind of language in the Sermon on the Mount. He speaks of cutting off limbs to describe the seriousness with which we should take sin. Don't mess about with this. It is dangerous not to take seriously the the danger that sin poses to the Christian life. It leads us away from God and causes untold destruction in our lives, doesn't it? And if we have no concern at all for our holy life, we may be shocked to find we are not lined up with the Jerusalem that is above, as we expect to be. So there is persecution, there is purging, and then finally there is privilege. Look at verse 31, privilege. Verse 31, Paul kind of sums up, Therefore, brothers and sisters... We are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We are not children of slavery, but children of freedom. We have the immense privilege of being sons of God, no longer slaves, but free to live as God intends us to live. It is a privilege. It is a privilege to be in the line, the column that says Isaac. The children of promise who have been miraculously born again of the Holy Spirit. It is a privilege. And so when you're wondering, well, God, that sounds tough. Like all my sin, try, you know, but I, I, I don't, I, there's things I, I really, I still enjoy doing. I still want to go off and do this and that. No, the, 
it's, it's a privilege to be a child of God. Why would you want to hold on to what is slavery when we are free? We looked at that last time. What does that kind of freedom look like? Well, that's chapters 5 and 6, and we'll look at that uh, next time. Well, not all of chapters 5 and 6, but a bit of it. Uh, but in chapters five, chapter 5, Paul begins to show us what freedom in Christ looks like. What is it like to live as a, as a Christian? Surveys um, that we, I, I spoke of at the beginning that you fill in have lots of questions. I can't remember how many were in the Star Wars one, but there was lots. And they feed into an algorithm that pops out an answer. But really, God has one question, just one. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone? That's the only question that matters. May none of us be shocked at which character we line up with. May our faith be in Jesus Christ. Well, we've spoken this evening of the Jerusalem that is above. That's where we are headed And our final song speaks of how Jesus died in the earthly Jerusalem to take us to the heavenly one. So we're going to stand as we close uh, by singing Jerusalem.
But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What a privilege to be children of God. Amen.